This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Hey everyone, it's Madison. Just a quick reminder that we are taking your questions all about evolution, divergent evolution, convergent evolution, whatever questions you have that you would like answered on our next Q&A at the end of the month. So maybe you want to know how your favorite Pokemon got some sort of adaptation or how one of your favorite Pokemon would develop, you know, the niche it would have in its ecosystem. Or how could certain Pokemon have develop the ability to evolve into some things and not other things or wide number of things. Any question that you have of how evolution would play in the Pokemon world, we want to answer. We want to help break down how evolution works and apply that concept to these games. So, hey, send in your questions and can't wait to hear from you. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science, this is PokeScience. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pokey Science. Today, we have a lovely guest to be talking about Pokemon fossils. Your cast members today include me, Chelsea Connor, um, your resident herpetologist. And Madison, who's just here, and hopefully you know who I am by now. But if you don't, welcome to the program, and hopefully you stick around. But having a great time and always ready to talk about old people. We're talking about those fossils, right? <laughs> Those are the fossils yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm Marisela here to talk about those fossils. I'm not yet a fossil, but maybe aspire to be a fossil one day. <laughs> You'll make a great fossil. Chelsea, we have a new friend here. We do. We do. I don't I don't I don't think we know this friend yet. Yeah. Do you go ahead and tell everybody who you are? Uh yeah, everyone. Um so I'm glad to be here. My name is Kirsten. I'm a I'm currently a postdoctoral research studying insects at Stanford and also uh, using basically using ancient uh, dirt to study what happens to insects over time. So I'm really excited to learn about, you know, real fossils and not just like fossil DNA. So thrilled to be here, guys. Thanks for including me. Insects used to be gigantic, right? Um, that's what I've heard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you wish they would do that again? Honestly, yeah. I feel like it'd be so much easier to get their DNA if they were bigger. I kind of miss that. I would love to be able to like ride an insect into battle or just to work. (laughs) This is my war locust. (laughs) Actually, I think like a wheel bug would be a good like war, war bug. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I know it's not an insect, but maybe my tarantula. Tarantulas are good too. Except for, like, if you have one that has um, eutricating hairs, then it kind of gets a little tricky. I think most of them do, because ours ours is really friendly, but we're not supposed to rub the hair too much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Marisela, can you tell us some more about yourself and your background? Yeah. So, I work at the California Academy of Sciences right now in San Francisco. I'm a curatorial assistant in the geology collections here. And my background is in evolutionary biology, so looking at things over long time scales. And I'm from the Bay Area originally, too, so I just kind of got stuck here. I'm not a migratory person. So. I hear there's good food there, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's expensive, but it's good. <laughs> you can't afford an apartment, <laughs> but the food's good. <laughs> 
are you currently working on anything cool at the museum? Yeah, there's always kind of multiple things going on. But one of the big things is making sure that all the specimens are safe. We have like eight to 10 million specimens just in the geology collection here. And so it's a lot to take care of. There's only like two full-time staff but always kind of improving the conditions and making sure they're safe for people to like come in the future and use them and do pro research on them. And another of my big responsibilities is the data for all these things. Data is like kind of the currency of the 21st century in a way. So we just want to make sure that people can access this stuff and they know that this material is here and it's available for the public and for education as a resource. I do have a question, if that's okay. Yeah. Do, do you all at the museum check regularly that all the specimens are there? Because I was just listening to the piece about the, uh, the um, what is it, it's Trent, where all the uh, Russell Wallace uh, specimens were stolen from like 10 years ago. <laughs> Oops. And like, the entire museum was cleared out and like they didn't notice for over a month. Whoa. Um, <laughs> I, okay, so I've actually not heard about that. And... <gasps> I will send it to you afterwards. <laughs> So I can have nightmares about like <laughs> stuff one of the most missing. important, you know, evolutionary biologists. All his yeah, quest <laughs> yeah. alone and just never returns it. But <laughs> uh, well, they recovered some of them, but like half of them were like missing feathers and like missing legs and stuff. And you're like, oh, oh crap. yeah. So I know that stuff has gone missing, and we don't. We definitely don't have the capacity to kind of check on stuff like that. So don't, please don't anybody break in and steal our stuff. <laughs> Just a <laughs> grad student. Oh, yeah. Or, or workers. Museum workers are kind of disgruntled too sometimes. But uh... I was talking to one of the collection managers about that, Chris. Um, I asked like, what happens if like nobody ever like returns alone. And he just like shrugged. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. There's not, there's not much we can do. Like, it yeah. also depends on the species of it because depending on the species and who loaned it out, then you can get like some agencies involved because then it's protected. Yeah. So yeah. then it's like, okay, we can definitely like do something about it. But outside yeah. of that, you just kind of. Eh? <laughs> yeah yeah we don't have a, a bunch of authority like like the girl scout honor system yeah it yeah. totally is kind of <laughs> you promise i will bring it back yeah it kind of is like that i mean and i in my time here i've had loans come back that are like 50 years old so like they've been on loan longer than i've been alive oh and they, <laughs> if they like somebody just kind of found it like the person retired <laughs> And they're like, guess we we should return this stuff. And we're like, we didn't even know it was gone, actually, which is also kind of bad. <laughs> it was in Nana's <laughs> attic when, when Nana died. We don't know how it got there. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's hopefully one of the things, like, with improving data, we're hoping to, like, keep better track of this stuff. Because right now, I mean, there isn't, you know, it's like a card catalog or, like, a written ledger. So it's not super easy <laughs> to keep tabs on. Yeah. It's like an, like an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think in a lot of cases, Excel spreadsheet would be an improvement. <laughs> so we're, we're, yeah, we're working towards like bringing the collections. It's like a bunch of post-it notes. Oh, yeah. So many post-it notes. We have so many colored, di di like different colors of post-it notes. Yeah. We like, walk into the collections and be like, oh, hey, can I see this cool thing? And then you like pull out the drawer and there's a little post-it note that's like out on loan. Like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yep. even better. It just says I owe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
so not all of our guests are pokemon fans but you happen to be a very big pokemon fan so can you share with us what your favorite pokemon memory is yeah yeah although i will admit i kind of fell off in like gen 3 so i'm more like an old school like an older generation pokemon person um but yeah when i was into I know. I mean, I see with the new like open world games and stuff. I'm like, man, they're so good. Really they were really cool. good. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I was just yeah. playing last night. Yeah. Shiny hunting again. <laughs> oh yeah, I know you're on a quest to like just get every single one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. One day when I when I have more time, what is that? <laughs> so what's your favorite memory? Oh, um, yeah. So I think yeah, since me and Pokemon go back. I think my one of my favorite memories is, I don't know, I think it's like seven or eight, like elementary school, just like begging my mom to let me stay home after school and like not do this really dumb gymnastics class that I didn't like. Um, so like stay home and watch the first season, I think is my favorite memory. And she would just be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have very fond memories of just like sitting on the couch in the afternoon and like watching Aww. watching that first season. That's so that's so precious. I think all of my early Pokemon memories are like very closely cherished to me too. It just like makes me feel so warm. I'm like, all right, maybe I should rewatch like the very first season of Pokemon again. Especially yeah. now that like Ash left. I'm like, oh Yeah. Nostalgia. Marcelo, what is your favorite Pokemon? Yeah, I do so I do like water Pokemon in general. Um, but I think I, I do really like Psyduck because I, I definitely am on the same level with like the headache situation. I get a lot of like migraines and like headaches and there's something wrong with my eyes and it causes a lot of pressure to like build up in my, so, and I, I, one day a girl can dream, want to like unleash all of my pain on my enemies like Psyduck. <laughs> yeah, so do like Saito for that reason and I know I was looking through the new Pokemon and I know Fido probably smells really nice because he's made out of bread yeah <laughs> I love the smell of fresh bread so. I think that's in it's like Pokedex entry that it smells either mm. um Fido or it's um evolution and mentions their like yeasty smell or something in the Pokedex entry yeah the yeast in Fido's breath is useful for cooking. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, and then that's Pokemon Violet. Pokemon Scarlet says that the yeast in its breath introduces fermentation in the Pokemon's vicinity. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Not like an infection waiting to happen. Yeah, it's funny because it's like fermentation can be good, or fermentation can also be bad. Yeah, I I absolutely <laughs> love Fido. As soon as I saw it, I was like, it's on my team, and it is on my team. Um, it's actually at, it's at level eighty right now. <laughs> um, and I've been yeah, the that and my Wooper. I haven't let my Wooper evolve either, and it's like level eighty five. Um, I've been doodling like alternate Fidos, so oh, just like wow. different types of bread. It's, it's oh, so <laughs> that's like a dream. Yeah. So let's. Let's start talking about fossils. I just want to start and get some background, actually. So really basic. Can you explain what a fossil is and how we get them? And, you know, is it easy to find one? Yeah, I do really like answering this question because sometimes I'll talk about fossils and people will be like, wait, like, what the heck even is it? Like, we all know dinosaur fossils, but really a fossil is any past sign of life like a lot of people say it must be 
10,000 years old, like minimum to be a fossil, but it really just depends on um, like how mineralized it is and if it shows like a sign of past life. And that could be anything from like really tiny single-celled organism fossils. There's things like chemical fossils that are important to like oil geologists, uh, plant fossils, ichnofossils, which are things like footprints and worm burrows and stuff. Copper lights or the poop fossils are really fun. <gasps> we get a kick out of that. <laughs> Don't tell my five-year-old that those exist. <laughs> Her newest thing is that she's telling everyone she's going to be like a poop scientist. Oh my god! And she's like, she's like, oh, I'm going to study like animal poop and like, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know lots of people that study poop, and it is a it's a noble field. I also collected fecal samples for a research project. It's it's better her than me. Better her than me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, and the microbiome is like a hot topic right now, too. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that um, that we had a fridge that was full of poop in our lab, and then the fridge died. And I opened it up, and it was absolutely foul. No! (gasps) Ew! No! Ew! Ew! Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, just tell your daughter that, Madison. Be like, this mm-hmm. could happen. She'll be like, oh. no. Oh god. <laughs> no, because she's gonna think it's funny. Man, it was not funny in the moment. <laughs> okay. My nine-year-old would be disgusted, but my five-year-old okay. think it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. It's a good thing that fossil poop doesn't smell because it's basically a rock. So, so <laughs> maybe you can coax your daughter in that direction. <laughs> I used to have a piece of corpolite and I just like when I was moving for the last time before like moving here, I was like, why do I have this? Why do I want to keep this? <laughs> I do want to go back though. Um, so like what makes a fossil? Like how how do they form? Like how how like are they easy to make? Like it does I think it depends on a couple of different things. Like something that's really small might take less time to fossilize. So and definitely probably things that have like a hard part to begin with so like a really small clam shell will probably fossilize faster than something like a big old dinosaur limb something like that so yeah and then it basically goes back to how fast all that organic material in the animal or plant or whatever is fossilizing how long that takes to be fully replaced with like minerals and become like a little rock so the organic material is just being replaced by rock and then that rock that we find or mineral and that like mineral or rock that we find that looks like the animal that's the fossil. Yeah. But like soft and hard tissue don't fossilize the same, right? No. Yeah. With with soft tissues you got to be in like super special VIP conditions. Like you got to like <laughs> fall to like the bottom of like a really nice lake. <laughs> and then get like covered with sediment prime real estate prime totally this is like yeah like the pacific palisades are like the luxury vip <laughs> high rise of like yeah that's where i want to yeah. be <laughs> yeah that's like that's like my dream too um i remember there were some people i think it was a joke but they were like we want to start a company to like sell people uh, land that they would oh increase God. their chances of becoming a fossil. <laughs> so it'd probably be, you know, like a nice calm like lake bed and like <laughs> yeah. Or you, they could like throw you in an asphalt pit or 
Uh, like if a volcano erupts too, that's like another good one. The volcano erupts and like dumps ash on everything. Like Pompeii. Yeah. Wait, so I'm just curious, by that token, what's the worst place to become fossilized? Ooh, that's a fun question. New York City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the rats would probably definitely scavenge you. <laughs> or like somebody would like stomp them. Or the train would like run you over. <laughs> uh, but definitely, our <laughs> like subduc- subduction zones are definitely a big old no- I feel like that would be really sad because like you can make it that long and be even like your material, you can become mineralized. And then like, next thing you know, you're just being subducted (laughs) under a plate Mm -hmm. and you just like melt. Yeah. So, so do you mind? I'm, 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 I'm very new to this. Do you mind telling me what being subducted means? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think California is a good example of a good subduction zone because you have the, the plate that is like terrestrial and then the plate that's oceanic. And then when they kind of like, they go, they start meeting going like this and then one starts to subduct and get pushed underneath. And Mm -hmm. that area has really intense heat and pressure. And those are definitely big no's if you're trying to become a fossil because you kind of want to like sit there undisturbed for a long time. Oh, okay. But you're you're getting real disturbed in that, in that area. Oh, okay. And you'll probably just honestly get recycled back <laughs> into, the, into the Earth's core. So, yeah. So I want to ask you, what kind of information can researchers obtain from fossils? Like how is modeling technology changed the way we look at fossils? And, you know, what about genetic technology? There's like so much information that fossils can offer us. Some of my favorite bits are how things interacted in the past, right? Because unless you hop in a time machine and go back hundreds of millions of years, you won't be able to see what was eating what necessarily. But there are some fossils that have evidence of predation on them and stuff. You don't have a flux capacitor? Not yet. I mean, if we do, they're definitely hiding it from <laughs> plebeians like me. Um <laughs> Maybe one day, I don't know. <laughs> that would be the dream, though, to be able to like, go back and see these things really happening in real time. But until then, we just have collections laying around in museums like ours for people to come and like try to figure out what these relationships were and how things were interacting. And we all know, like in the past, we've had mass extinctions. The climate has always been alternating between extremes. We can see how communities of animals in the past have recovered from those kind of major, major disruptions to their environment. And we all know that humans are doing a real good job of putting pressure on ecosystems now. So it could be kind of like a nice model to see, well, how much can we stress the thing, these, these things and um, guide their recovery in a way. Um, and what else? In terms of, yeah, like 3D modeling and scanning is pretty cool too, because you can like non-destructively study things better. I'm thinking of things like amber or amber fossils here. There's nice little like bugs. Kirsten, maybe some flies for you trapped in amber. But obviously you don't want to smash the amber open just to look at the whatever you're trying to look at because you might hurt whatever you're trying to look at and then also destroy the amber. So CT scanning is a good way to kind of look at anatomy that's hidden. Mm -hmm. So so what you're saying is that we can't get the mosquito blood out of the the amber 
<laughs> dinosaur DNA. We can't do that yet. I don't think so. No, I mean, because okay. I mean, that's why I like Pokemon, right? Yeah, because they're like, yeah, you can revive Amber into Aerodactyl. I'm like, yeah, that's like fantasy because it's just like <laughs> we know <laughs> that we can't because DNA doesn't even last. I mean, I think the the DNA's lifespan is like a million years. Uh, I hear this a lot from people online where they're like. How do you know how the T-Rex walk? Like, what do you what do you mean you know it went this fast? Or like, <laughs> how do you know that their neck possibly stretched that way? Or how do you know what color they're like? Like, I, you know, like to me, it's like I think so many people are not aware of how those advancements have really influenced the way we are able to obtain information. And I do not feel qualified, which is why I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, well, I am very honored that you think I'm qualified. I also might not be qualified because I don't have like a big vertebrate paleontology like modeling background, but I think I can kind of... Um, Teamwork is dream work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what they're doing is using physics and like modeling the physics of like joints and stuff and the limits of like anatomy and how a T-Rex might have walked based on what its limbs are like connected and stuff. Mm-hmm. So using modeling in that way to, to try to figure it out, too. Yeah. I've, like, read a paper about that because I had free time. And as a scientist <laughs> with free time, I read a scientific paper. Um, <laughs> and it's it was so cool to, like, read about how they were knowing how, like, certain animals today walk that are, like, closely related to, um you know, the fossil that they found. And they did the... 3D modeling and they're like okay well based on what pressure we think this can take and the way that it's shaped and all of that you were mentioning that we can we can we can reasonably assume that it looks like this walk like this it's just really cool to see the advancement that we've made in technology yeah. where we yeah. don't even necessarily need a full um a full fossil complete fossil to be able to fill in some some gap based on what we already know using that knowledge base and that cool technology we're talking about it's nice because that is a physical concrete thing that you can plug into a computer and be like computer tell me (laughs) what the physical limitations of this thing are but then like sometimes dinosaur paleontologists go on like a whole thing like there's i know there's like a thing a debate about whether or not they have lips (laughs) like literally who cares like there's so many cooler things i don't know yeah Yeah, i've been avoiding paleontology twitter because they have been fighting about lips and i'm like this is too much maybe it's like a weird they want to like kiss dinosaur kind of thing they're like i need to know for my fantasy yeah would i make out with a t-rex it's like how how did dinosaurs express affection if they can't kiss each other? <laughs> oh. oh, I guess yeah. There there was the genetics part yeah. of that too. Yeah, I know. So this was like super timely because I was reading about like the mammoth meatball that they made last week. <laughs> they just yeah, and like the the biggest kick was like nobody could eat it. Because they're like, we don't know how like humans will react to this protein that literally hasn't been around for like five thousand years. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, my, my, wait, my, like, can you describe how how did they make that meatball, the mammoth meatball? Yeah, I was reading. I was reading. So apparently they. Apparently, this was like a publicity stunt for like lab-grown meat. I was gonna say, isn't it the same way they do lab-grown meat? That's what I thought. Yeah, it like the same way where they just reproduce cells, right? Yeah, yeah. They like took some mammoth, ancient mammoth DNA, and like put it in like a sheep, oh. like a sheep post, 
and then they're like, and then they use the sheep host with the mammoth DNA to like multiply the cells and make like a volleyball size mammoth meatball. <laughs> it's still like it's a it's a hybrid though. It's not like mm-hmm. full mammoth though, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think so because it has to have like that living relative ish yeah. host. Yeah. Wait. So would you guys eat yeah, it? But it's if you knew it was safe, would you eat the mammoth would meat? I? <laughs> I- I'm going to pass, but I'm sure the guy who <laughs> supersized me would eat it if we asked him. Oh, I, I definitely tried the mammoth meatball. Yeah. That I, I and Kelsey are going to try it. Just them. For science. <laughs> For science. I don't know. I feel like I would try it as long as I was like near a hospital, like just in case. <laughs> Do you guys want zombies? Because this is how we get zombies. <laughs> For science. It started yeah. with the meatball, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so it was basically a publicity stunt for like lab-grown meat. And then I think that's also what like the de-extinction of mammoths story is kind of just like, well, let's see how far we can take science and like maybe like other better, because I personally don't think de-extinction is a good idea. Mm-hmm. No. Um, just because there's so many things that you're not accounting for. <laughs> you're just... Jeff Goldblum was right? <laughs> ah, yeah. He was right. Life finds—I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel like life finds a way, but I feel like we have like ruined those ecosystems so much that they make it so hard for the little mammoth to like live. I don't know. Sorry, we're bringing you back, but there's no more ice on the planet. Yeah, like you know, yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, that reminds me. Like, there's the little blurb of I don't know how you say it, Amara, the little sauropod with like the little oh Amara. Yeah, they were saying that, like, oh, she lived in the tundra, but then, like, they brought her back in the in the anime, and then, like, there was no more ice. Like, her habitat was destroyed. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like what we would do with the mammoths. Like, we would bring them back to what? But, yeah, oh, yeah, and then even so, it's kind of like the lab meat thing, because they're just genetically engineering that ancient DNA into, like, the elephant <laughs> so you're making an elephant with woolly mouth traits like you're not bringing back like the real the real deal man. yeah just like the cells yeah um so marisela i had a i had a question um i remember last time i went to the cal academy of sciences it was a long time ago but i do remember uh reading about index fossils and i was wondering you know as a as a curator of the museum if you could tell us a little bit about what index fossils are yeah, index index fossils are very aptly named because they do give you like an index um, <laughs> and they indicate haha, like where you are in the geologic time scale because they only occur in like a very narrow narrow time frame in geologic time. So there's a lot of animals, things like ammonites, and also very tiny microfossils are used as index index fossils a lot to kind of give you like a time range of how old that rock is so um so in pokemon when you find a fossil you revive it and you get the special fossil pokemon we like briefly touched on um you know not being able to do that quite yet not in like a full way in the real world but like if we were able to and in instances where they are like you know reviving like some parts making like meatballs <laughs> is that animal going to be a true clone no yeah it's gonna be like a frankenstein style hybrid of whatever they could get traits from the ancient dna and 
the living relative that they're using uh, to like bring it back to life, like major air quotes and that, yeah. Yeah, and even, yeah, like I think I mentioned before, but the people, the group that's trying to de-extinct the mammoth um, is they kind of admit that that's what they're doing. It's going to be like an elephant with mammoth-esque traits adapted to like cold weather. A malephant, if you would. Malephant! <laughs> wow. They should, oh. they should like copyright that and then sell it to them. They have enough money. Yeah. So when people think of fossils, they hope, like usually just go straight to like dinosaurs. They always think of dinosaurs. But there's so many like other prehistoric organisms that uh, we could talk about. And like, so one example is protostega and that's the animal that um tutorga i always pronounce this wrong the fossil turtle (laughs) that just went on sale sitting cuties uh yesterday um it is yeah it's based off of the protostega so can you tell us more about some other like cool prehistoric animals used in pokemon yeah they they use a bunch and i think they did it really well um some of them better than others but most of them are pretty good they ominate, they did, they took the name that the animal comes from and uh, the anatomy because they're based on ammonites who just like swap out the letter and they did a really good job on that. And I, I really like ammonites because they were also alive when dinosaurs were around and, and they're like a really popular fossil in California because most of California was underwater and very marine. So we got a lot of ammonites and there's a lot of ammonites in the geology collections here at the academy too. And they're like little octopuses with shells on their heads, like little, <laughs> little helmets. Um, but they got pretty metal too, because their shells like adapted spines to later uh, in later lineages. Uh, so that's Ammonite and then Kabuto. To me, you can at me if you want on this. I think they look like <laughs> horseshoe crabs, but sometimes we're like, what? No, it's a trilobite. I'm like, dang, okay. Like, it's a trilobite. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I would have to agree with you on that because um, Pokemon actually has a fossil museum, a Pokemon fossil museum in Japan. And um, oh my they have a poster so. that has like all of the fossil Pokemon and then their real life counterparts. And for um, Kabuto, they have a horseshoe crab in that spot. Okay. So they agree with you. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's arguing with you on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? While you're, just, while you're bringing up horseshoe crabs, I just want to say that when I look it up, horseshoe crab blood is worth an estimated $15,000 a quart. So. No wonder Team Rocket was trying to steal those, right? <laughs> it's true, yeah, yeah. Because they, I think, um, they use horseshoe crab blood for testing the sterility of like vaccines and stuff. So. Yeah, so it just like it makes a lot of sense in context now. Why like, Team Rocket was so crazy about them? Yeah. Um, I do know the poster you're talking about, though, and because that was um, that's from one of the world tournaments. Um, but it's my understanding, and I could be wrong. I'm just going to put my two cents here. Uh, <laughs> that, like, trilobites, like, were vastly, like, diverse. Like, millions of species of trilobites. And I know Lila and I have talked about them at conventions. I mean, they, they go from everything from, like, uh, four centimeters to, you know, like, four feet. And I do know that there are a few that do have that tail-like structure, similar to horseshoe crabs. Whether or not that is intentional or not. I, I have no idea. I'm not the artist. Gonna add my two cents there, but I do know that there are trilobites that do have that exact same body structure almost to horseshoe crabs. Yeah, yeah, they have like long, pointy 
yeah. stuff at the back and long pointy stuff. <laughs> and everything in between, right? Like one's little flaps, one with like head things, like all over the place. Trilobites are varied and very fun. <laughs> so yeah, what about other things? Because like, like I know um, Armaldo, um, you know, that's not really a... It's definitely not a dinosaur. Yeah, Armaldo yeah. is definitely not a dinosaur. What what is Armaldo? I don't yeah, I don't think he's a dinosaur. I think he or definitely like Anorith is um a little sh- a little, little anomalocaris and its name means like what is it like fake shrimp? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it means like anomalous shrimp. Uh, but they, yeah, they they're only like a couple of inches long. Um, but it was like the apex predator in the Pale- uh, in the Cambrian oceans. Um, yeah, so we wouldn't have T. Rex if it wasn't for Anomalocaris. <laughs> or the little shrimp. Um, That's so cute. Yeah, it's like a little yeah. Little shrimp guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Archaeops and Arkin are based on Archaeopteryx, which is the very famous transitional fossil. And I like that in the games they gave. Arkin feathers because we know that those little yes. those little yeah they they had feathers so and then aerodactyl is an example of a toothed pterosaur i didn't realize that some pterosaurs specifically did not have teeth yeah. um i just kind of assumed that they would That's they <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean yeah there's like the giant quetzalcoatlus it's like those the are my largest. favorite <gasps> they're pretty cool yeah um and they didn't have teeth <laughs> uh, there's a life-size uh, model at the Toledo Zoo here because the Toledo Zoo actually has a museum as well where they do have like fossils and stuff uh, they do have a life-size Quetzalcoatlus and like that thing is the coolest thing ever it's pretty yeah. cool just like stand under and be like they, I would oh, die I have pictures of me and my yeah. uh, my daughter because her Girl Scout troop we slept there last year so whole picture they're the best I, I love them it's like if we could have like a prehistoric animal as a mouse, that would, that's what I would. Pick. That's the one. But yeah, of course. <laughs> but um, speaking of like odd, um, well, non-dinosaur fossil Pokemon in Gen three, we have a fossil Pokemon that's not based another fossil Pokemon based on a dinosaur. It's Cradilly, and like most fossil Pokemon, it's rock ground type, and it comes from the root fossil, but it's not a plant at all. It's like modeled like a plant, but it's not based off of a plant. So can you tell us more about that prehistoric? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Looks can be deceiving with the with the crinoid. So Cray Lily is based on a crinoid and there it's a kind of a kinoderm, which means that it's related to like sea stars and urchins, which are definitely not photosynthetic plants. <laughs> but like so crinoid fossils, some of the complete ones are actually really striking and beautiful because it, I mean, it does look like a plant because they have like a base that they attach to rocks on that looks like like a root system kind of, and then like a stalk in the middle, and then little like feather things at the top that look like petals, but they're actually for filter feeding. Do yeah, those animals animal. still exist today? Like, do we they have like modern Yeah. So, and crinoids are Paleozoic, so they've been around for hundreds of millions of years, and they there were more species. A long time ago, so they're they're not as prolific now, or there aren't as many. They're not as diverse now, um, but yeah, they've been around a long time. Um, depending on where you go, if you go snorkeling or scuba diving, you can see some, um, mm-hmm. and your guide might like wave a little stick so that they like pull their like little feathers out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah, all right. 
this next question that we have for you requires you to visualize a timeline, all right? Let's see. Let's have Madison guide us. Okay. I'm going to post this picture on Twitter because, like, I didn't get time to make it. I, I, I was wondering. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Well, so uh, we have a panel that my daughter and I do about, like, extinct animals. Um, and, like, that's something that the two of us kind of noticed as we were talking about it. We're like, wait these timelines make absolutely no sense. (laughs) Like things are in like random orders that you're like, wait, where did that go? So essentially here's my question. Okay. So, and I will post the picture so everyone can see it. It'll be on Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, Try to follow along with this. Yeah. Please follow. Uh, If we take a deep dive into uh, Pokedex entries for when certain Pokemon existed, right? Um, Like the past paradox version of Jigglypuff Screamtail lived apparently 1 billion years ago. Uh, Genesect and Kabuto are about 300 million years ago. Uh, And then moving down, you know, at 100 million years ago, we get to things like most of them. And it says they all come at like the same time period. Tyrant, Relicant, Amora, uh, Tortoga, Anorith, Cranidus, Lilith, and Shieldon. And then finally... Uh, you know, another <laughs> past paradox Pokemon, Sandy Shocks, apparently comes around like ten thousand years ago. I just want to ask, like, like does this compare to like geological time in our world? Because since, since we've discussed like these actual creatures, like, and does the game get it right, or what does it get wrong? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this was a fun question, and also the graphic is pretty, pretty cool. It's so really I was good. like, where did she find this, or did she make it? So oh, I did make <laughs> it. Thank you for making it, yeah, um, and blessing the world with this really fun <laughs> graphic that we're going to tear apart, honestly, because I think, like, they only kind of got a couple, right, like, a couple that could have happened, and I think it's, like, Amora and Genesect and Shieldon. They're, animals like them were definitely alive 100 million years ago, but if they're trying to say that they first appeared 100 million years ago then that's wrong. <laughs> um, but they, they definitely would have been around in that time period. And then some other ones are Kabuto, uh, Lilip, and Tortuga. I say Lilip. Some people say Lilip, but I like to think of like Lil. It's definitely Lilip. Yeah, so so those are a neat, like definitely plausible. And then... Most of the other ones are wrong because, yeah, unless Jigglypuff was like the queen of like the beginning <laughs> of the earth, which maybe, she maybe created she the primordial <laughs> Like, unless <laughs> Jigglypuff is the primordial is. Yeah, like, unless it was that, probably, definitely not. Um, because life one billion years ago consisted of basically like algal mats called stromatolites. Um, so we, did, we we hadn't graduated. Earth hadn't graduated to Jigglypuff-esque life forms yet a billion years ago. And what else is definitely wrong? Would have been, yeah, Anomalocaris. We talked a little bit about Anomalocaris earlier, but they went extinct 500 million years ago. So definitely couldn't have lived 100 million years ago. And then, yeah, Relicanth, I think the, the jury is out. Um... Because I think it looks like a placoderm, which is an armored fish. They're a fish that had like really thick scales. Oh, like I love those! Body. Like um, Dunkleosteus is a yeah. We have it. Right? We have one here at the yes. Cleveland Museum. Yeah. So, so if you think a relicanth is more like that, um, those went extinct 360 million years ago ish. 
so it also couldn't have lived 120 years ago. Um, but the, I know the Bulbapedia says that it's more like a coelacanth. And if you're in that, if you're on that bandwagon of coelacanth, then it could have they could have been because coelacanths are still around today, and their fossil record goes way back. And yeah, also definitely wrong ones are tyrant cranidos because they did they weren't even around on Earth that long, right? They they both went extinct in the late Cretaceous, so. And yeah, the I think Sandy Shocks. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know what Sandy Shocks So you know where that, like I mean, a group of magnets could have lived a thousand, a thousand years, years ago. ago. I don't know. I think it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it maybe is like too futuristic for that time. <laughs> End of the last ice age. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you, What do you all think? No idea. <laughs> Sandy shocks. I don't know. I feel like I definitely believe in Sandy Shocks. Somebody has to believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that seems like a before life thing. You know, like there's just a bunch of mm. magnets around and then light struck them and then they, they went to light. It's hard to think of them as like being that, you know, in the yeah. same time frame as those fossils. Yeah, like Jigglypuff <laughs> rising from the primordial ooze. Sandy Shocks just existed. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Kristen. So speaking of past paradox Pokemon, we want to get your opinion on some design from these different Pokemon. And basically, we want you to tell us what, t- what time period you think these correspond to okay. and why. Um, so the first, just for the our viewers, we're, we're going to show Walking Wake, which to me looks like a, am I wrong in thinking it looks kind of like a, it's like a Suicune, but it's on, it's bipedal. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's a- <laughs> It's a past Suicune, yes. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. It was like, it's like a bipedal, like it's like a theropod-ish, which, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you haven't played the newest game, uh, Paradox Pokemons, and I don't, I'm not going to give spoilers too much, uh, but we'll say that they are plausible descendants. Plausible being a keyword. None okay. of us are fully sure about everything yet until the expansion pass comes out this year. Uh, so, yeah, so based on, I don't know, just based on the photo, I would say like Jurassic Cretaceous. Yeah, cool. So he, yeah, fought, very... he fought some, uh, some T-Rex. Yeah, it's a bit. Is there yeah. like theropod dinosaur leaning? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, and the next one that we'll show you is Roaring Moon, which has, uh, I'm actually forgetting the name of like the original Pokemon but has like red wings. Salamence. Sorry? Salamence. Salamence. Okay, thank you. I just slipped my tongue. What would yeah, you say this about one, this? This one was uh, I think a stretch for me because I really didn't know. But it's with the, like, the wings reminded me of some pterosaur fossils where it kind of looks like the wings are kind of in that shape. So I said pterosaur um, <laughs> and those, you know, those lived um, in the Cretaceous too. So say that. <laughs> and then we have Slitherwing, which has like it, I'm, I'm also forgetting the original Pokemon name, but it looks like in like an antiquated uh, moth. You want to Volcarona? Yeah, Mothirona Yeah, I also said moth, and I did have to look what the fossil record of moths and butterflies were, but apparently they date back to the Jurassic. That's super cool. Oh, that's so like two about 200 million years ago, right? Dang, cool. Okay, and then we're going to go to the next Pokemon, which looks like a just a really angry fungus. <laughs> it's an Amoongus, yeah, an Amoongus. Well, yeah, yeah, this one was kind of fun, too, because I, I didn't know that much about mushroom fossils. So I had to look um, at what their fossil record is like, and 
they found a mushroom fossil of like the body that was about 115 mm-hmm. years old. Um, so that's Cretaceous. Yeah, 115. But then I know mushroom fossils, like little pieces, so like spores and like pieces of mycelium and stuff. They found some that are about a billion years old. So, <laughs> so, so I'm guessing this guy, this this one seems a bit bigger right so maybe it wouldn't be quite that old as like the little small spores that you're describing yeah Yeah. those Pokemon haven't been discovered yet um okay and then the next one looks like a i would just say also like a very angry angry dolphin with like red red spikes sticking out of its body yeah and i I said small elephant which could kind of put us into different directions if you're looking like basil elephants like the first elephants those are about 60 million million years old paleocene yeah and, and they were kind of small but they didn't have tusks though so so then i was like well uh-huh. maybe they're like pygmy mammoths um and those didn't Ooh. go extinct until about ten thousand years ago some people say like four thousand years ago because um, they got stuck on the islands on in the Channel islands off the coast of california oh. that's how they got so small that sounds so cute <laughs> honestly yeah. So um, some of the Paradox Pokemon entries state that little is known or that there is a missile fossil, fossil record of an extinct species. How does that relate to like real life studies of fossils in paleontology? Um, it's super real. I feel it in my soul because less than less than <laughs> like a tenth of a percent or some really small number of life on Earth ever gets to become a fossil to begin with so obviously there's a lot of gaps and kind of you know have to guess based on what we have found so far of things that have been fossilized yeah so there's just some things that we'll never know and they'll just be kind of mysteries until we get lucky and we have got in lucky a couple times with finding transitional forms so things like archaeopteryx and Tiktaalik are such a big deal because the like likelihood of those organisms being fossilized in the first place and then found <laughs> also and they kind of give you like oh so this is how we got life on earth from like life in the ocean or like this is how we got from like dinosaurs to birds um, so really special yeah that is so cool we do have a little bit of time, and I know that Lapras is one of your favorite Pokemon. So, do you want to say something quick about Lapras? Oh yeah, I like Lapras because um, yeah, I am. I do like the water Pokemon. I think Lapras is cool, but the animal that Lapras is based on is definitely kind of scary. <laughs> um, to, based on a plesiosaur, which is like they were giant. Cretaceous marine reptiles, um, really scary predators with long necks. Yeah, um, every time I see them like drawn, though they never look very scary. They always drawn really serene, just gliding through the ocean, having a very chill time. <laughs> no I know. Yeah, about that. yeah, yeah. You know that's actually kind of true. It looks like they're just kind of like there, mm-hmm. like the water but like their teeth are really i don't know the skulls like the teeth are kind of intense (laughs) they were definitely carnivores is what you're saying yeah 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 yeah. if if i was a fish (laughs) r.i.p 
Well, thank you for the honorable mention for Lapras. I feel like Lapras doesn't get mentioned. I mean, I, I feel like um, whenever and- I saw the images of like Ash, it was always Ash on a Lapras doing something really and then we forgot about Lapras somehow along the way. We forgot about <laughs> poor Lapras. But I thought Lapras came back in the last episode, didn't it? Uh, I mean, Pidgeotto did, Butterfree oh, came back. Primate, like, I thought everything came back. Like, I thought there was like. I also haven't like fully watched the last episode. I haven't seen I any of it, it, but like, I pictures on Twitter, yo. I'm pretending it didn't happen for a while. Okay, it didn't happen. <laughs> Um, but just want to thank you so much, Maricela, for coming on and talking to us about Pokemon fossils and fossils in general. Um, I know that you have like you're very busy working on real life fossils <laughs> at the Cal Academy. Um, it was great talking to you and trying to figure out, um, you know, where would we put all of these like fossil Pokemon and prehistoric Pokemon on an actual timeline. Yeah, thanks for having me and inviting me. I'm glad that my two nerdy interests can kind of converge <laughs> in something like this. And thank you all for doing this podcast because it is, yeah, it's like pretty unique and fun. So, yeah, no, thanks for coming. To you all. Thank yeah. you. It's always so much fun to be able to talk to people about Pokemon and have their interests aligned with that. All right. Well, I'm going to end this episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.